0: People have understood true worship to be what we do when we sing songs. And, uh, but after actually reading and studying the scriptures, is seeing that God's mandate to us or desire or ask uh, is that we would love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Uh, and, and that's has being his desire from Genesis to, you know, all the way to Revelation, is that we would love him with everything, in everything.
1: Welcome to The Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. well hello everybody welcome to the follow-up podcast good to be in your ears and today on the podcast we've been just chatting with different people some of you've been tracking with us we've had uh, Oz, Oz Guinness on John Lennox, Maz Daisel, a bunch of different people just chatting about different things uh Carl Tinian last week I hope you guys enjoyed that the, the crazy man planting churches in New Zealand and uh his YouTube channel, Heavenly Nosh. I hope you check that stuff out. But uh, today, we've got on the follower podcast, Langa Mbonambi. And uh, for those of you who know Langa, I think uh, in a lot of different contexts, he's really, from my experience, just a man who carries a heart of worship, and not just in his own personal capacity, but he's kind of stewarding that and stirring that, particularly in the nation of South Africa and, and abroad. And so, Langa, it's so good to have you on the follow-up podcast. Thanks for, for joining us, man.
0: Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Matt.
1: Yeah, man. I we've only ever met really briefly, actually. I was in Cape Town, and uh, Langa was doing a workshop on worship in a couple of days, man. And I was so stirred and and really encouraged by what he was teaching. And I thought to myself, man, it'd be really good to have have him on the podcast. So I reached out and. And he agreed and we've been trying to get our, our diaries to match for a bit here it's been a bit crazy he's a, you're currently doing a, a tour a 10-year tour with this thing uh, we will worship we'll talk about that in a second but you've been all over the place different places where you've been in the last couple of weeks longer um yeah so i think probably the last time we spoke
0: i've been to zim and uh, cape town a whole bunch okay uh, <laughs> i seem to, to yeah to be traveling to cape town quite a bit um, yeah, uh, Zim, uh, uh yeah, so just a,
1: a little around Southern Africa. Uh, but I'm
0: glad to be home and settled in for the next little while.
1: Yeah, yeah, And Lange, tell us a little bit about yourself. For those who, who don't know you and are listening in, tell us a little bit about the story of Lange. You, you grew up in Durban, uh, and then your story kind of goes from there. Give us some insight into that.
0: Yeah, I uh, grew up in Durban in a township called Umlazi, Uh, I'm very Zulu born to two Zulu parents, Uh, however, I ended up in very uh, British Anglican boarding schools from the the age of six, Uh, I actually boarded, yeah, from grade one all the way through to matric, and uh, so I spent uh, most of my time in boarding school, actually, Mm. and uh, so that actually uh, quite influenced, I guess, the way that I was brought up uh, quite a bit, uh, I turned forty this year, and so if you do the maths, <laughs> thank you. And uh, so when you actually do the maths a bit, I, I it, it was in the eighties that I I started school. So we're still in apartheid South Africa, which is a whole other uh, story on its own. So I was one of the 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 first crop of black kids to be in white schools, what was previously known, I guess, as white schools. So. So that's a, a little kind of of my history and hence the accent and uh, and my uh, deep knowledge of rock music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, it's not all bad. Eh? There's some good stuff out there in the rock music world. You know, I, I grew up in that. You know,
0: I, in, in that in that Nirvana space, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. You know, violent Yeah, Come bass, on. You know. now. I was that uh, that uh, that uh, the black kid head banging with no hair to bang with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hence the dreads now, bro. just you got Hence to. The <laughs> oh man, okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge yeah. that's a huge context shift, dude, from Mlazi to to Hiltons and uh, these different uh, these Anglican church schools. I mean, what was that like? I'm just so fascinated by that. How did you, how did that, what was that experience like for you? Yeah.
0: So, I mean, it was, it was just different worlds. So, um, so how I actually ended up at the Anglican boarding school was because we were at an Anglican church. And I think in those days, uh, the only place where they permitted uh, kind of multicultural gatherings or multi-ethnic gatherings was in the church. At, uh, at that stage in the, through, that, through the Anglican church. And so that's how I ended up there. So, so basically, I would go home every weekend. And in the morning, I would go to the Anglican church in the township and sing uh, hymns in Zulu. And then in the evenings, I would go back to boarding school and attend the service there in the evening and sing Anglican and do Anglican church again, but now yeah. in English. And yeah, singing, yeah. you know, How Great Thou Art and whatnot. So it was just it was just a different different worlds and uh, and and back then, being a for my folks having a kid that could speak English was like a trophy, you know. So so even at home, they would have me speak English because mm. it was cool for their kids to be able to speak English and English with that. You know, a white man's accent as well. So it would be that thing. Hey, look at my kid. He speaks English. It would be that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, so a lot of things left me confused. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. I, I was actually just reflecting the other day, um, chatting with a, an old school friend, how when I'd be at school, people would talk about what they did on holidays. Uh, we're going skiing. Uh, we're going uh, somewhere like exotic. And uh, and for me, it was just like I'm going home to the township. We don't really do those kind of things. No one can afford to go to this. So I remember I started making up stories of, of like, <laughs> of like where we were going or what we were doing, just so that you know I could have something to say when guys got together. But you know I'd just be going home, and uh, and unfortunately uh, then we we had a Nintendo, so I'd pretty much play video games with. Uh, with, with my squad at home, but just the, 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 the contrasts, the wanting to fit in and at some stage not feeling like I fit in anywhere. You know, when I was, you know, at school, I was, I might've had the accents and stuff, but I was still black, you know, and then uh, going back home because I had this privileged schooling, I also didn't quite fit in with, you know, my friends from back home, um, and uh, yeah, it was just uh, just very interesting, kind of like living in in in, in two worlds. But I think you know, now like looking back now, I've just seen how God has used that um, redemptively, um, and has enabled me to be able to speak and uh, communicate within different contexts and be somewhat comfortable in in pretty much wherever I go. Um, but uh, yeah it's, it's it's been interesting and then on the musical side of things i know we're joking about it earlier though it's like i'm a jukebox i you know <laughs> you can ask me you can quiz me on hip hop you can quiz me on on uh, you know acdc or whatever it is <laughs> and uh, and i think that's brought a richness also to my to my songwriting the way that i approach music that i think uh, very few people have in my in my world so so again, I can just see how God has used that redemptively.
1: Mm. And uh, when I read a bit about your story, you—you were you, you weren't a person of faith in your younger years. You kind of came to faith later. Is that right? Uh, yes. Well, I went to church. I was a yeah. Uh, yeah. I was a
0: church girl. as I said. I mean, I, I pretty much attended two services on any given weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's the family I, I, I grew up in as well. as it? regardless of what happened on Saturday, Sunday, you get up and you go to church. So, yeah, uh, yeah, but it was only, I guess, at a later stage where, yes, I I made a conscious decision to
1: follow Jesus. Yeah, and so tell me about that. So you you go through school, you went to study at university, Uh, where did you study? Uh, I I
0: started my studies at UCT. Okay. So this is after I matriculated uh, straight to UCT. And uh, so uh, to backtrack a little bit, my mother got born again when I was, uh, came to faith here yeah, when I was 15. And I just saw like some serious miraculous thing happen, uh, things happen in, in her life, you know, her prayers being answered. She would be that, the type that prays out loud. And so you would hear what she was praying for and who she was praying for, all those things. Um, and uh and so i just couldn't deny the you know just there being a god and god actually answering prayer because mm. of just some of the stuff that i witnessed at that time um my and sorry my father passed away when i was 14 so it was just not long after that that my that my mother came to faith um and um yeah so i just couldn't deny i couldn't deny but it was the issue of actually living this life which in my mind was you know when i'm 30 and i'm kind of old and settled in life that's that's when i will choose this jesus thing and uh yeah but but however you know fortunately god stepped in uh intervened and uh so that wasn't yeah. so when i was 21 was when i could say i i made a conscious decision to follow jesus i was at uct uh there were churches on campus and as was my tradition, I would go to church on Sunday. And uh, so no matter what I was doing the day before, uh, it would be like Sunday, you know, is the one. And uh, and because I, my mother was so strong, I guess, in the faith, I had an, a if I could say an understanding of morality or I thought I was, you know, I would compare myself to others. I'd say, man, I drink, I do this. I, you know, I get smashed, but Hey, not as bad as so-and-so. And so, you know, yeah. So, so it was that, that thing. Like, um, yeah, I thought I was okay. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to, it's a very long story, but let me, let me try to get to no, that, no, it's uh, good, man. the no, heart it's of it
1: good. Good.
0: is, um, so I did two years at UCT uh, ran out of money, and uh, so I decided to go uh, to work uh, for two years in, in, uh, in Cape Town and by then I'd been working in the fashion industry uh, as a as a schmodo, as a <laughs> they they they
1: call
0: <laughs> well, so then, this is, I mean they're... it's
1: obvious. It's obvious, right? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are listening so, yeah, I, to the so you can't see what I'm seeing, but I mean <laughs>
0: <man>. <laughs> So yeah, but anyway, I, I've decided, you know what, let me come out with it. Because I often say just fashion industry, and then you know my wife was like, Listen, you need to tell people you were working <laughs> as a model, you know, quite... <laughs> 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 yeah. anyway, so I so I um I made a lot of money. Uh, with with in a short space of time, I was like one of the new faces in the modeling industry within South Africa, and and even then there weren't a lot of uh, black male models that were doing you know big campaigns for big brands, and so I was one of those, and uh, got opportunities to travel to Europe for for fashion weeks in Paris and Milan. Excuse me. <clears throat> And, uh, at that particular stage, I was really faith wise. I was really seeking. And I guess, and and again, I still had that level of morality that I was kind of, uh, let me say monitoring my ways by, uh, just like, listen, you know, don't, don't get too hectic, you know, stay level-headed to degree party, but just, you know, within moderation, do drugs, but within moderation, you know, everything in, in that way. Um, and uh, so I traveled to, 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 to Milan, and I, I was staying with a couple of South Africans also there who were in the industry. Uh, and bro, like, it's I'm a young dude. I'm in my tw- I was then 20. I am from KZN. Like, KZN is removed from, like, any, like, celebrity vibes and, you know, things like that. So a lot of this for me was, it was a lot you know, it was a lot. And, uh, so being in spaces where you're with, uh, you're meeting your Giorgio Armani's, your Prada's, your Dolce Gabbana's. And, uh, you know, it's the, it's a, it was a big deal for me. And, uh, and so I had a lot invested in this trip. I was like, man, I need to get on this trip. I need to do things so that I could get home and say, you know what, I've done things in this world. I've traveled the world. I've, you know, I've made lots of money. I've seen things. And, uh, And so a lot of, a lot of was vested in this trip and it was actually supposed to be a, about a six month trip where you traveled from Paris to Milan, Milan to London, London to New York, and then back to Cape Town. And, um, but it all kind of hung on me making money at each particular location. And so, so when I got to Milan, uh, to Milan, I, I was almost booked for every big gig in, you know, that was available but I didn't get any. Wow. And uh, which meant I had to leave after a month. Um, But the reality is what I saw there in in that month that I stayed really kind of shook me um, because I I got to learn a little bit about the industry. I mean, that was back then. I mean, this was probably early 2000s. I, I mean, I don't know what it's like now. I'm sure it's probably worse, but I saw that people People were doing whatever they needed to do in order to succeed. And and for the first time in my life, I felt like I was being pulled that way. Where I felt like I wanted to succeed so badly that I was almost willing to do anything to succeed. And that shook me up because I thought I was an okay guy. Mm -hmm. But now thoughts and things were going through my minds that that I felt like, man, this isn't me. This isn't, you know, since when am I thinking this way? Since when am I, you know, even considering a particular dodgy relationship um, or doing something dodgy just to get ahead? Um, And and that really shook me. And uh, and so with my uh, tail between my legs, I went back home, broke. Uh, I... Broke up with my girlfriend, also she broke up with me. So mind you, I'm 20. Okay, so this is a lot because, like at 20, you're dating and you're thinking, you know, this is your world. This is this is everything, you know. And so, so I'm in my mother's living room. I am now depressed and suicidal. Uh, well, Well, not like hey, I'm going to go kill myself, but now the thoughts are just lingering there. And even that shook me up because. You know, and again, because it's just like, this is not me. I've never, you know, been this desperate or I've, I've always been, you know, in control. And, uh, and so I'm flipping through my old Nokia phone, my 3210, I'm deleting messages from my girlfriend or my ex-girlfriend then. And, um, and I come across a scripture that my mother had sent me early on in that year when I'd had a bad day. But I didn't actually open that text message because I was upset with it. I was like, man, I'm going through stuff. And, woman, you're sending me scriptures. You know, like, what are <laughs> scriptures? Do? You know, so I ignored that text message altogether. And, and I opened it then. And, uh, and again, as a time, I was depressed and, you know, suicidal and just not knowing what I was doing with my life. And, uh, and mind you, part of the weight of what I was carrying was because I'd had all these opportunities of being at these schools, these prestigious schools, and now I'm sitting and I'm like, what have I done with all this? And, you know, there's expectations from my community, you know, to, to have done something, to have been something, you know, to have acquired something by that time. And so, so that's, that's, that's why it was just so heavy for me. All these things were bearing down on me, just like, actually, what have I done with my life? um and uh, so in that moment i opened the text and it was uh, philippians 4 uh, verse 6 and 7 says do not be anxious about anything but uh, with, in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving present your requests to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus and man just after reading that i just felt god's presence in that room mm-hmm. and just a peace uh just descend uh upon me and i just sensed you know jesus saying hey bro Try me out again, you know, try me out again, follow me and, um, and, and see, and see where I'll take you. Mm. And, uh, and it was there in my, my mother's living room on my knees. I said, Jesus, come, come show me the way Jesus. I want to follow you. And, and I'm going to, you know, do my best to, to follow you. Mm. Um, and so, uh, so that's kind of how the journey, you know, began for me, Mm um and uh yeah i guess my my journey of of uh, of following jesus and um and uh, to that so i so in that moment i started reading finding anything christian to read and just consume um i'm now looking back i mean like there was some dodgy stuff there but uh, <laughs> <laughs> always is always a good mix. It always of that. <laughs> is. But I, but I remember this one book. This, it was quite a popular book in the early two thousands. It was by Bruce Wilkinson called "The Prayer of Jay Bears." Yeah. And in in that book, there's a guy called John Dryden. I think he's an is an old like uh, scholar. And it says, "It is better to shun the bait than to struggle in the snare." It is better to shun the bait than to struggle in the in the snare. So good. And uh, and I had kind of tried the whole. I'd been to multiple altar calls whilst I was at UCT. Whenever I had a hardcore weekend and I felt guilty, I went to church, and they preached the message, and I responded to the altar call. But then my life would just go back to whatever it was before within a couple of days, and uh, and so that's why it was like. For me, an invitation. Jesus saying, "Come on, try me. Really try me." And um, and so I think after reading that quote, I realized I needed to change my environment um, in order to to be able to follow Jesus effectively. Give Jesus a chance. And uh, and so a lot of changes were instituted after in, in that season, just around environment, um, temptation. You know, rather staying away from places that would tempt me. Um, and, uh, and that's it, in a nutshell how I ended up in Johannesburg, actually left Cape Town. Because Cape Town for me was like my Egypt, you know, was like the place where all was Babylon,
1: you know, <laughs> <with all> the... <laughs> yeah. and, and that's how I ended up in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I just want to jump in here, uh, Lange, because uh, I just feel like there's a moment of encouragement to people who are listening. Um, uh, I, re- I resonate with your story, not so much because I was a model, because again, if you could see things, there's a big difference between what's happening on our screen, yeah? But uh, but, but but interestingly, I grew up in the Anglican church as well, uh, I, a little church called All, all Souls Church. And um, my parents, I mean, they did, did the best they knew how, but I was like an altar boy and a server, and I did like the incense, and I wore the Batman gown and all the good things, you know? But uh, but went through high school and very much this dual life, like what you're describing, you know, parties on weekends, serving in the church with a hangover on Sunday. And um, it just kind of came to a culmination point for me also around 2021. And I had a pretty radical encounter with Jesus. Those of you who've listened to the podcast, you know that story. But really, Jesus just flooded into my life. And... In that moment, there was like this culmination point. And, and what I found was that it, it, it didn't land into a vacuum, that actually the seeds of redemption had been planted in my life all those years before. Like God mm-hmm. was always at work. And even in the moments, I mean, I remember one time when I was 18, we were at my friend's house and uh, his parents were away. And we, we basically ended up totaling his mom's car. Well, I did. And it was it was a terrible experience. And it really shook me. And it was very sobering. And that was because of partying and drinking and everything that went with that. But even there, I can see now retrospectively, I see the grace of God. And I see how, you know, he is so good at pulling so many chaotic different things together and bringing it to these points of awakening and salvation. And I don't know if you can relate to that in your story, but I just wanted to like uh, someone who's listening right now, you might be having this sense of like, man, my life is chaotic. It's out of order. Things are, are crazy and all over the place and can God even find me now and I just wanted to encourage you if you're listening to this from Lange's story from my story and from many many stories in the faith that God's hand is never short and he's he's present he's he's working even in the things that seem to be far gone and lost his redemptive touch is not beyond those places and, mm. and so if you're listening mm. and you're feeling like maybe you're in that moment like Langa was describing and you're in your room, and man, there's a depressive thing happening over you. And there's some suicidal ideation. You are seconds away from the intervention of God. And he has been with you moment by moment, day by day, even the places where you, where you don't recognize it or didn't see it. His hand has mm-hmm. been there. He's been guiding you and leading you to himself. Would you relate to that longer?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I, i see it. I've seen it. I am still seeing it. Um, it's, it's that knowing that man, God loves you. You know, when God created you, he really did have a plan and a purpose. You know, it's mm-hmm. something that can seem like all cheesy and, and whatnot, but but really as the as the maker, as the designer, man, he doesn't just make for the sake of you know of making, but there is a plan, there is a purpose. And 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 you know, and and what I, I've loved in this whole journey is that even the things that have been painful for me. Even the things, you know, that have hurt, even the experiences, God has used those redemptively. He's used those to encourage others. He's used those to encourage me, you know, to take something that that was painful in a particular moment, but use it to bring life, you know, to mm. my situation, to, to other people's situation. It's just crazy, man. Yeah. It's just crazy. And, yeah. and you
1: know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of Jacob. Uh, uh, you know, he's he's finds himself, there's that story where he finds himself in the wilderness. He's literally, the Bible says he's like in the middle of nowhere and he ends up sleeping on a rock because he's got nowhere else to sleep. And the reason he's there, nowhere sleeping on a rock, is because he's made every bad decision in the book, you know, like mm. <laughs> everything you mm. could do, any, anything you could think of yeah. doing wrong, Jacob did it. And yet all his bad decisions and all his rebelliousness of heart led him to a place of absolute need. And it's in that moment when God intervenes and it's in that moment when he wrestles and it's in that moment where he gets the new name, you know. And and so Mm. I just wanted to encourage, man, I just feel there's something on this right now. Like if you are listening to this and you are feeling, man, I'm too far gone. I've made too many bad decisions. And you are finding yourself in that moment of darkness. I can tell you from my story. And Lange is telling you from his story that God is right there and actually that moment of deepest darkness or bottom of the pit or whatever that looks like for you, that can be a moment of of redefinition and redemption for you. And so so Lange let's keep going in your story so you you go from there and, and tell us about UJ and, and the beginnings of We Will Worship and, and some real shifts in your life that happened at the back of this moment.
0: Um, yeah, so I, I ended up at uh, UJ. It was actually Rao back then, uh, Rand Afrikaans University, uh, And then a couple of years later, changed to University of Johannesburg. And so so it was where, there, actually, my life changed quite significantly in that I was, uh, again, pursuing Jesus uh, after that quote uh, I have pretty much lived by that quote. It's better to shun the bait than to struggle in the snare mm. by John Dryden. So I, I made deliberate moves just to, you know, get myself out of places where there was no temptation. Uh, so I stopped, you know, drinking. Um, and, I mean, I've got nothing against alcohol, but, you know, for me, it was a real issue. And uh, And that, you know, after a couple of drinks, then you'd start thinking of doing some, Silly things. So I just said, you know, what, let me just cut this off altogether. Uh, another issue that I had was that I was a serial. Uh, what was I? Serial data. <laughs> I, I was always in a relationship. You know, it's, ever since high school, I always be I could just never be alone. And uh, and so that's one of the things I realized, man, I needed to deal with was. Uh, I remember in my struggles, I said, you know, with the Lord, I was like, God, I could stop the drinking. I could stop, you know, smoking, dr- whatever it is, all that other stuff. But man, I don't know how this ladies thing is going to work. And, uh, and so, so even with that, I remember I, you know, from the onset, I said, you know, I'm just not actually going to talk to girls. You know, when I get to varsity, I'm just going to go study. I don't want to talk to girls. I don't want to even study groups of girls. I just want to run away, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, it was a very, <laughs> it was crazy, bro. But anyway, I was, I was at a hardcore, but anyway, I, I, something that really changed my life was that I got into a discipleship relationship. When I, when I got into campus, I, I joined a, a church, a student, um, a student church and the, the, the heart of the church was disciples, making disciples, you know? And so for once I was, being mentored. For once, I was in a group with other guys that were students that were also pursuing Jesus. And in those relationships, I, you know, for the first time, saw what godly relationships look like and what godly manhood looked like. Um, I mean, there were guys in, in my connect group um, adversity that had never, you know, been with girls, you know, that were virgins. And for me, that was like, what? Like, what planet are you from? Where are you from? You know, that kind of thing. So, so a lot of these experiences kind of disrupted my idea of what life was. And if I could say, help renew my mind and, uh, and align me to kind of God's ways. And so that, that was huge for me. And, uh, and uh, so I, I can never, you know, talk about discipleship enough or just community, the power of just godly community, because, man, that, that helps us significantly, especially for things that we can't imagine, uh, where you can actually see something demonstrated, what that does for the imagination and therefore it enables you to see to see a change in your life as possible. Um, anyway, so so with that, uh, I joined the church and then, you know, the church grew in leadership um, and then with the growing in leadership, I ended up in the worship team. Uh, so basically, I I was always musical to some degree. I was because I was in Anglican schools. I was in the choir, mm. and uh, yeah. So I, I'd sang in the choir throughout my schooling career. Um, I know in high school they forced us to be in choir, you know, because if you it's coming in as well, they called us poops in in grade <laughs> eight the, the <laughs> <laughs> poops, and so we all had to we were, all poops went to choir because. Our voices hadn't broken yet, and so we were the right. sopranos. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's how I was introduced to to choral music, and and um, and so I could sing, and so I joined the band, and uh, and then I, you know, through joining the band, it ended up leading the band and and things like that. This is a church, a student church, and then I remember at, at that time. Uh, Hillsong United had just come out with their first record. I think it was Look to You. Right. Um, and we say, one Wait, Jesus, you're the only, you know, those, those jams. And uh, and by then the congregation, because the, the university was transitioning from Rand Afrikaans University to University of Johannesburg, you're getting more and more black students on the campus. And uh, and so it was, you know, becoming a, a bit more uh, transcultural or multi-ethnic, or whatever you call it and uh and so i remember looking around the room i was like man like this one way jesus stuff i get it it's awesome it's rocking it's young it's fresh uh but you know what is the expression what would actually capture what is happening in this room with the people that are in this room how can we tell the story of what god was doing in our lives as students in the middle of a metropolis like johannesburg where you have all this this melting pot of culture of cultures you know what is God doing how can we tell our story because when you listen to the I don't know if you ever listened to the Hillsong United story it it was very similar it was just someone said hey guys God is doing something in your midst go write a song or go go you know just tell the story and so so I gathered some people from our different worship team I said guys God is doing some amazing things let's document them let's put them to song and see what happens with that and so we so this was back in 2006 where we hosted an event called We Will Worship. So there was an event called We Will Worship where we sang and we worshiped with uh, with new songs, songs that we had written as students. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, yeah, well, cut a long story short, um, that then continued this event called We Will Worship um, for a couple of years. And then I felt like, Man, for us to have serious momentum around singing our own songs, we need to record the songs so that people can take the songs home and take the experience home with them. And, uh, and so it was only in 2011 where we recorded the songs. Um, and that was where we had, I guess, well-known songs like uh Malibog, Malibog yeah. Ika Malak. I've probably sang that song, I must say, over 2,000 times.
1: <laughs> I can't believe it, man. <laughs> it's everywhere. And it's one of the ones, that even the white guys, when it gets in there, Malibong. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you got that. <laughs> I don't know about the, a lot of the rest of the stuff, but the Malibong. Yeah, you got yeah, that. yeah. that one, you know. Wherever you go.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so that was, where, that was where kind of We were Worship was like officially because that was when we recorded the music. And um, and then people started to share the music, you know, across across the country, and then all of a sudden, I guess the, the movement was officially birthed. Uh, yeah, and 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 at the at the heart of it, you know, with we will worship was just was just a simple vision that I received once as a student was just hands raised. Uh, this vision of just hands raised i couldn't really see faces and things like that but it was just a multitude with hands raised and for me it was very specific that hey this is on the african continent and uh, and it wasn't musicians it was just ordinary people living with their hands raised Uh, and they continued in that posture and whatever it is that they did and so we came up with the phrase is that we will worship with everything in everything and uh, and essentially, the heart of We Will Worship is to uh, is to have a movement, uh, release a movement of people that will live with live with their hands raised, in, in in whatever it is that they do, whatever it is that God has called them to, that they would see themselves as worshippers, twenty uh, four seven worshippers. Uh, yeah, of Adonai. That's that's really We Will Worship.
1: and i think that you know that ties so nicely into kind of what you feel like a core message is for you which is around this idea that worship has been turned into a genre but your conviction yeah. is that this is a whole life experience you know maybe talk a little bit more unpack that thought for us and, and what is, what does that mean for you
0: yeah so so i've journeyed quite a bit in the in the let me say in the church space because uh, once I once I graduated uh, from university I did a, a BCom in marketing management and I'd always actually wanted to go into advertising um, but the Lord I guess led me to to serve on uh, on campuses campus ministries and uh, and and a big part of that for me actually was the pull was just. Uh, wanting to mentor people, disciple people because of, because of the impact that discipleship had on my particular life and journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, so when I grew up in the ministry, it's, I, I, was involved in worship and I felt like worship music, you know, sung worship music ministry was everything. Everyone else was playing games. You know, those were that were pastors, those were administrators, they were playing games because the real life...
1: (laughs) You can't sing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? The glory, you know, the glory, the
0: presence, the atmosphere. Come on. You know, that was where God resided. You know, and worship leaders, uh, you know, we were the gateway, you know, to glory for everyone else. You know? And and, uh, until until i was asked to actually lead the campus ministry and then now i was a, actually a pastor, you know pastoring and uh, and leading a ministry now and and then from when from that perspective that i was like actually being a church leader is the greatest you know everyone else is playing games but until <laughs> you are teaching and preaching and you know yeah you know that's where the glory is and uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I guess in growing in my journey with the Lord uh, and, then, and then kind of being in both worlds where I'm involved in the worship ministry, uh, particularly through We Will Worship, sung Worship, and we're writing songs and things like that. And I'm also not leading the church. And, and uh, so my perspective started to change on, you know, what, what worship, you know, truly is and then so began to you know on a journey of studying um and uh, and so a so i would have people because i'm involved in we will worship and we i guess we have some sort of a public platform is you know i'd have a mother come up to me oh my god you need to meet my daughter she is such a worshipper you know and uh, and i would get what you're saying you know she's saying you know she sings really well she loves singing and worshiping the Lord in that way. Um, but, you know, with having more and more encounters like that, realizing that, man, people have understood true worship to be what we do when we sing songs. and uh, But after actually reading and studying the scriptures, is seeing that God's mandate to us or desire or ask uh, is that we would love him with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our strength. Uh, and and that's his des- being his desire from Genesis to you know all the way to Revelation is that we would love him with everything in everything, and uh, and that's before a song a song has been sung before a note has been played, but just that that is what God requires, and the beauty of it is that He can require that of everyone, uh, because it's got nothing to do with your musical ability. And, uh, and so that's what he addresses to Israel, particularly in, in Deuteronomy 6, which is what's echoed by, you know, Jesus in, in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Gospels, you know, when he's asked, what is, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, you know, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then the second is like unto it, is to love your neighbor. Um, as you love yourself he says on the on these hang the law and the prophets as in everything that was written in the in the scriptures hung on these two things is loving god uh, with all your soul with all your heart with all your strength and loving your neighbor as you love yourself and and that's what god requires of us and that's what uh that's what true worship uh that's what true worship is and uh, and so so where I'm at and with everything that, that that I'm doing now is is helping people see that worship is not what we do for 30 minutes on a Sunday when we you know, pick up guitars and pianos and things like that. But mm. it's actually what we do every single moment mm. and and ultimately that's what that's what God wants is hearts. It is our soul is all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and and in the Hebrew culture, I mean, heart heart had to do uh, with your your understanding. So what you learn, what you what you receive, what you read, it's uh, you know, it's got to do with your brain. I guess what we would liken it to our, to our brain. Um, your soul has got to do with your mind, will, and your emotions. You know, they're understood. There also like, uh, in Hebrew culture, the, the, the seat of your emotions was actually in your stomach.
1: Yeah. Because,
0: because you actually, you know, when you're nervous, you feel it in your stomach when right. you are yeah. joyful, you feel it in your stomach, you know, it, it's that kind of thing. So they understood that, um, to be that. So to love God with all your soul. So submit your, your emotions, submit your will to God and God's ways. Um, and then the, the, the last one is your, with all your strength or with all your might meaning your resources whatever it is that enables you to actually live and do life is that that needs to be submitted um uh you know to the lord and that's what god wants ultimately is people that will just say yes to his ways and yes to him mm. and uh, i guess we could just sum it down as uh, uh, bring it all the way down to just simple obedience because right. god wants us to be obedient to him and that's
1: true worship And I think, you know, the implication of that is when it's just about singing or music or whatever that is, I can keep God at a distance. You know, like my relationship with God can exist within that paradigm. And then when I'm off the platform or when I put the mic down or whatever that means, I go on about my life. But when it's integrated like you're talking about, there's nowhere to hide in that sense. When, when it becomes this whole life worship, now all of who I am is submitted to God. And I think the interesting thing which you raise is that God's actually told us what kind of worship he desires, you know? So this isn't, this isn't up to us to kind of make up as pleases us. God's already told us what pleases him. And when we bring the whole of our lives to him, that can be quite a confronting uh, experience. And I, I just wonder what that's looked like for you and what areas of your life as you've tried to bring the whole of your life before the Lord, where have you had to edit and shift and change? And what does that experience look like for you?
0: Yeah, look, it's it's been a, a challenging experience and it's an ongoing one. Um, look, w- one of the things that that really hit me hard is, you know, in studying the scriptures, I, I do a lot of Old Testament studies because uh, I believe, uh, you know, to really grasp and understand the New Testament, you need to have the foundation of the old. They all build on each other. It's, um, you know, it's like part one and part two vibes, yeah, you know,
1: yeah.
0: and uh, and so one of the things that really challenged me one day is when I learned that there's only two kinds of worship. There's worship that's acceptable and there's worship uh, that's, well, there's worship that God accepts and there's God, worship that God rejects. And, um, and that really hit me hard because I come from a culture where I'm just like, yeah, as long as it's from a good place,
1: mm.
0: you know, God accepts whatever it is that I, that I bring to him. Uh, and and i would, I would challenge any of you listeners to actually lead, read through Malachi the story in Malachi, and you'd see how people also brought well intentioned worship to God and what God says of that sure yeah. um but anyway it's it, so even just the story of Cain and Abel God rejects one and he accepts another and uh, and I think we live in a culture where where you're not allowed to divide where you're not allowed to draw a line um and uh, and and it's tough because I guess scripture inevitably will lead us to a place where we have to draw a line. Yeah, um, we're in a culture where it's all about inclusivity. Whereas you scrip- read scripture, it's not the case. Mm. Uh, God says He wants His people to be set apart, and so by virtue of saying that, it means you need to be set apart from something or someone. Mm. And uh, and I think that becomes the the challenge for me that has become the challenge for me is like, am I choosing my way or am I choosing God's way? Am I waiting to understand God's ways first before I follow in God's ways or do I just obey? And so, um, and so just a, just a simple thing of like studying, actually learning God's word and spending time with God. Uh, I, I remember I, I had a, you know, season where the first thing I did in the morning was check my WhatsApp messages. Yeah. And, and that was my, you know, and then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, okay. No, it's just a quick message ends up being, now I'm sending a voice note to someone. Now I have to respond to now, you know, like everyone's messages on WhatsApp's are like urgent. Yes. And And now all of a sudden I'm spending time on WhatsApp and I'm not spending time with the Lord. Uh, so it's little shifts like that I've had to to do for myself. It's like, look, if I really value Jesus and being with Jesus and following Jesus, well, I need to be with Jesus and uh, be in His Word, and so that needs to be priority for me. And so, simple shifts like that, um, simple shifts around our family. Uh, we've got uh, four kids. Uh, you know, Scripture tells us that we, you know, in again also Deuteronomy six, it says that we must diligently teach our kids God's ways.
1: Mm.
0: Um, like, so the diligently really hit home for me because it's not like a willy nilly thing, but we, as parents need to take responsibility for our children's education. And uh, so we, so because of that, we made a decision to homeschool. Uh, however, I'm not against people sending their kids to, you know, typical traditional schools, uh, what I am against is people just handing their kids over to other people and expecting them to educate them. You know, so as parents, the, the onus is on us to know what our kids are learning. If there are any gaps that we fill them, it uh, doesn't mean that you need to be the math teacher or whatever it is, but at least you have a handle on what your children are learning, how they are learning, who is shaped. You know, you know the voices mm. that, are, that are speaking into their lives. And uh, and so that you enable that it's your voice and and uh, and inevitably the voice of the Lord that is loudest in their lives and and I can attest this growing up in boarding school is that for us we were raised by whoever was bigger and hairier, you know, <laughs> right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know that that was the reality of it as much as you know it was deemed a Christian school and things like that. You know, all the stuff I learned were from the the older boys, and like I said, the the bigger and hairier you were, the more I'd listen to you, mm-hmm. uh, because you could ex- exercise authority over me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and so, it, so those are, I guess, some of the some of the changes for for us, uh, you know. And, and it's somewhat cult- countercultural, and we do get looks of just like, oh, why do you homeschool? Are you hippies? Are you, you know? But we just mean like, listen. This is just a decision that we're making so that we can follow God's ways, mm. um, a, a, yeah, and 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 live out what we see in
1: Scripture. Mm. And you know, I think that's so critical. I mean, we had a, we had a conversation with Oz Guinness actually a couple of episodes back, and he was saying that he feels like one of the critical things we need to think about as Christians in the world today is how we raise the next generation and what what it means to build the family unit, um, you know, because without being alarmist uh, or entering into any kind of hype, uh, the narrative of our culture is increasingly counter-Christian formation, yeah. you know, and that, that's just the facts of the matter. And so uh, those of us who believe in the way of Jesus and those of us who want to live into the way of Jesus, it doesn't mean that we need to set ourselves up as an enemy to everything. It doesn't even need to be combative mm-hmm. in its positioning, but it's just, it's just, I love what you're saying. This is what the Lord has said, and this is the way we're going and me and my whole house, you know, and I just think brilliant, you know, in terms of it's one thing to be preaching the gospel everywhere and sharing with strangers in the streets and all these good things and leading, we will worship and we need all those good kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the family unit is the building block of society, you know? So, so parents really do. I just really agree with what you're saying. I mean, there's a huge priestly responsibility there in terms of how you Mm. raise the next generation, you know?
0: Mm. I think, I guess to that point, bro, like we can be making disciples, you know, you know, we're in this, this church space, you know, things like we can go out there, but man, if we're missing it at home, we've, we've missed it. Yeah, we've missed it. Yeah. And, and I, I now, uh, you know, i fortunately I'm, I'm ministering a lot into the, to guys in the music industry here within our Johannesburg space. And a lot of the guys that are that have like senior roles within the music industry, super talented people, are actually pastors' kids, Okay. Um, uh, because they they they've been playing instruments and playing music since they were they were kids. That's, that's just generally what happens, you know, yeah. with pastors, especially in the kind of in the black community. Um, and but but a lot of them want nothing to do with church because of their experiences within the church. Is that they they they. Uh, Parents or fathers or whatnot spend all their time with other people and not with them. Mm. And so there's this disconnect uh, when it comes to, you know, to church. And um, and so just just, again, because there's been such a great emphasis on what happens outside. Hey, is your ministry growing? Are the numbers growing? And yet we're not following scripture because, again, scripture, you know, speaks about, I guess, leadership in church. It says, hey... What's happening in your home? Are your kids well-behaved? Are you, you right. know, is there, you know, because you're supposed to be exemplary as a, as a leader. Right. So it's not just exemplary in preaching and teaching, but in actually how you how you lead and love your your family, because um, ultimately that's what you want to replicate.
1: And I think, you know, you've even touched on it, that sometimes when guys hear that, uh, I feel like sometimes it can be an inappropriate pressure that people feel on themselves. Like they've got to enter into uh, some kind of superhumanness. But actually, this this difference of self that you're talking about is actually really wrapped up in very small things. Like, what are you going to go to first in the morning when you wake up? (laughs) Are you going to spend time in scripture or are you going to spend time on social media? it's little things that can be managed that build a momentum in the direction of the kingdom. And, and I do, you know, to your point there, I think for a long time and at least in the Christian cultures, I've been a part of, we've applauded the platform and we've, uh, we've, we've placed less priority on the secret place, you know? Mm. And so, so an, an absence of character can be excused with an excess of gifting. And I just think yes. um, what you're talking about is where we are right now is that I think there's been a good crumbling of a lot of that in recent times. Mm. And what there's there's a call now for this remnant to to start to rise up. And that remnant, I'm feeling it in myself, man. I don't know if you're feeling it in yourself, but I'm feeling the call of the spirit to the place of character more than I have ever before. And I'm mm. and I'm seeing the gap, I'm seeing the deficit that exists there because I put so much emphasis on gifting for a long time, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, just just something on that note. Uh you know, the Lord's been really kind of journey with me through through this firstly i think in our culture we've adopted the worldly culture of everything being linked to numbers and and so inevitably you know when things are linked to numbers on the other end there's got to be performance uh, because performance draws numbers it's just a way of it's just the way how things work right Um, and uh, and so as as a result of that you know when you sit around as Church leaders or whatnot—it's about the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. You know, we celebrate people who've got the numbers. We don't celebrate the people that are doing the hard work that are discipling. Communities are being changed, even though it's just a handful of people. We won't go. You know, you know what I mean. We won't make a party and celebrate that. Uh, but but as soon as we have big numbers, then we celebrate that, and that speaks to our culture, how we've adopted and you know, how we ad- have we adopted. I guess the typical culture of the world is just. It's about the numbers. It's about the fanfare. I I just heard a quote recently. I can't, uh, you know, a friend of mine was sharing it. I can't, I don't know who who it's accredited to, but he says, someone said that Christianity is like a swimming pool. Uh, You hear all the noise in the shallow end. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> All wow. the noises at the shallow end, Man. you know. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, going back to that is it's so in Exodus, you know. So this will really challenged me because in the in the worship space, music space, probably the most sung lyric is holy or holy holy holy. As a worship leader when you're stuck and you don't know what to say, you can just sing holy 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 and people will respond. Right. You know? Right? And uh and so God reveals himself as holy to, to, to Israel. And then he says to them, be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. And this is after him now giving them his commandments, his instruction on, uh, on how they to worship him and how they to live as a redeemed people. He says, be holy as I am holy. And, 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 and just even the Exodus narrative, whenever someone was going to meet with God, they would have to consecrate themselves. Whenever Moses was going to meet, he would consecrate himself, um, which means essentially set yourself apart because you're meeting God who is set apart. Um, And so what really challenged me is that, to your point earlier, is that we've been able to sing about God and distance ourselves from God and say, God, oh, you are holy, you are holy, you are holy, and sing that over and over again. And we could be weeping and things, but not realizing that that needs to point back at us because the instruction is that be holy as I am holy. So as we are declaring God's holiness, it should, it's supposed to cause us to introspect whether or not we are actually living uh, and imaging back to God, who he is as one who is, who is holy. Mm. So it should impact our lives. But if, but if worship is just about songs and you know feel good, not realizing hey, it's also a charge to us as individuals and as communities to actually reflect back to who to God who He is. Right. Then our lives don't don't change. And and this is why also I, I believe you know when you see instructions in Ephesians five and uh, Colossians uh, three, I think you know it says. Uh, In Ephesians 5, don't, you know, get drunk. This leads to debauchery, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Sing to one another in hymns, uh, songs, uh, spiritual songs, you know, giving thanks to the Lord. And Colossians says, admonish one another uh, with hymns, with songs and spiritual. And it's this whole thing of one another. So, yes, we sing to God uh, and we worship, but also the songs are there to challenge one another. To stay true to the calling, to be a, a, a holy community, a royal priesthood—you know—all uh, these things that God has called us to be. Uh, so there's this there's this thing where we're supposed to challenge one another as community. So our song, so and then I reflect: what songs really challenge, speak to us as communities? Mm-hmm. To say, man, keep following God, man, keep, you know, keep to His ways. Um, so that we as a community we as a people are a holy nation and are reflecting back to god or imaging back to god um who he is so then there's that personal responsibility that it's not just about goosebumps and feels but what we sing to god or of god we it it needs to cause us to reflect if we are walking in that or, or carrying that as well
1: absolutely and you know that um That really challenges us when we think about what church is, because uh, I think it's Robert Mulholland. He talks about uh, spiritual formation. He says, like, if you are serious about being formed in the image of Jesus, the inevitable outcome of that is community. And the reason he says that is, he says, because it's impossible to be formed in the image of Christ in isolation. He said, like, you can do the superficial things by yourself. Like, you can maybe you can stop swearing, or you can get through a few superficial things alone but as soon as the spirit starts to highlight those deep broken areas in your life you will 100% mm-hmm. need community to walk through that you know oh, and i yeah. just think uh, when we talk about being holy and being set apart that's a collective journey and therefore yeah. church has to move from event to community we can't just we can't just sit in a building together we have to do life together you know
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I could tell you right now that I'm, that I'm awesome, that I'm patient, that I'm kind. And, uh, you know, I could take photos of me, you know, doing those, you know, things that seemingly look like I carry those things, but, you know, be in a room with me, uh, share a room with me for a month and then we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) You know, it's, it's those things. It's, it's, um, you know, even the idea of living stones and, and I love, you know, all this imagery that we get in scripture, you know, all, all the all the stones that they would use to build the temple. So even now in Jerusalem, the, the one wall that's that's there, you'll see like no stone is the same shape. And uh, and that's what they call, you know, living stones, you know, stones that that uh, weren't hewn by the hand of men that weren't touched. They're just taken as as they are and they put together and they're made to fit with others. And the nature of that is that you know people will rub us up the wrong way uh but you know we're supposed to be together that's the nature of us being together and we're there to refine each other we're there to to help sanctify each other and and so that we can walk in this holiness um that the lord has for us so uh so we need community we need community and it's not always going to be fun sometimes you're going to have to rebuke and sometimes you're going to be on the other end of a of a rebuke, but, uh, but we stay in it, um, because this is God's way, you know, of, mm-hmm. of really building people and, 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 uh, healing brokenness, um, uh, bringing life and, and expressing his love, uh, for, for, for his people and then for each other. So, which, which I think is one of those witnesses, uh, cause Jesus says, right. He says that, They will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. And so this is, I think, an area of witness that is missing in the church Hmm. that I I think we've just emphasized going out, sharing the gospel, go out, do this, you know, and we've missed just the power of community as a witness. Right. Um, You know, can you imagine being part of a community where there's no lack, where there's no sickness, um, where, you know, you're cared for. Uh, you know, not, not just in a spiritual sense, but your, your, your actual felt needs uh, are, are met um, and people are, are giving glory and praise to God because of what they're seeing in a tangible way. Man, what a, what a witness, you know? Mm-hmm. What, a, what a witness uh, that is. Someone said, you know, like you hear of churches that are good at evangelism, of raising funds or churches creative, but like when have you heard of a church being known for love? right you know because of the way that they love each other you know and again it's it's just not one of those things that we celebrate in today's culture because you need to have the great teacher you need to have the great instagram account you need to have a lot of followers you need to you know those are the things that we you know that we celebrate um Mm. but yeah
1: Man, these are some good thoughts, Lange. I'm just aware of time, so uh, I want us to to land. Uh, I wondered if you, I mean, you've been traveling around a bit. Um, there's a lot of reason to have concern in the world at the moment, in South Africa, in the world at large. But uh, my firm conviction is that uh, we're a people of hope, always defiantly a people of hope. I wonder if, almost as a closing thought, where, where do you see the hope? Where do you see God at work in the places that you're going and uh, in different spaces? And then what would your encouragement be to people like? Where should they lean in? Where can we press into partner with God in these things?
0: Um, firstly what, what's encouraged me is is uh, I think you spoke about it, you, you're probably one of the few people that I've actually heard speak about remnant, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, because, because again I think it, that'll it be another podcast. Up.
1: Let's do one yeah, another time. Because yeah, <laughs> I think it rubs
0: people it rubs people the wrong way to think that there's a set apart, you know, that, that there's some people that are kind of set apart and, and whatnot. And so I think wherever I've gone, I've just seen people that have got it. You know, seen people that are like, Yeah, actually, guys, everything of mine belongs to the Lord and I'm gonna live uh, in that way. And, and I, and I would say, particularly where I've been encouraged is seeing uh, young black South Africans starting to rearrange their lives in a way that aligns with scripture. And and I say this because the general trend is, is man, we've got good jobs. We've got, you know, all this stuff we need to go buy the BMW. We need to go move into the fancy suburb, um, climb the corporate ladder. But now I'm starting to see people Staying in small houses and using their funds to, you know, to, to advance the kingdom, using their funds to serve the poor, uh, driving the same car, uh, a little coarser for, you know, 10 years. And whilst peers are like, why are you not driving the BMW? Why are you not, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so little things like that for me have been massively encouraging. And then also seeing, uh, especially in our South African context, young uh, black folk deciding to go on missions. Come on, so uh, good. So good. You know that's yeah. that's huge for me. You know, and again, like historically, it's just been white folks coming yeah. into South Africa, white folks from South Africa. You know, going planting Man. churches and other other African nations. Yeah. Um, but now we're starting to see, you know, a, a few more. You know, and that for me is 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 so encouraging. Um, in, in that in that sense. Um, yeah, I, I guess in terms of. In terms of hope is, uh, I think as we spoke about before, is, is the family thing, man. I, I'm starting to see people take family seriously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, choosing to uh, build strong families. Seeking to, to you know, like in black, you know, in black culture, seeking help for like marriage is like taboo um but i'm starting to see people you know do do those kind of things um really take the responsibility to 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 build build family well and if you i mean if you dig dig a little bit with our history and on apartheid one of the things that apartheid actually one of the biggest things apartheid did was break the family and it was a deliberate move yeah by removing fathers from households um and leaving women to fend for the children that really broke family. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, uh, and so for me, even though I'm one family, but, you know, getting together with other families, generations down, we would have made a massive impact, um, to the issue of fatherlessness and brokenness that we see in, in our family today. So, so, so as much as I love what we do in the worship space, I love all that, you know, without family, everything falls apart without yeah. men taking their place as fathers or as mentors, um, you know, to the fatherless and things like that, man, everything falls apart. Uh, as you said, the building block of society is family. So, so if, if there's a place we can invest in, it's in, in families, um, finding families for people uh, adoption. We've got, you know, highest, one of the highest orphanage orphan. Of rates,
1: percentages, rates,
0: yeah, percentage, yeah. In in the world, um, we need to find families for the cho- Those children, we need to find, you know, a mentorship or whatever it is. But but if we can get some of those things right, I really think a whole lot of other things um, can can fall into place. And we're always we're not looking to government uh, for solutions, but we can begin to organize as communities and as families um to, to see us prosper.
1: Beautiful, man. And finally, uh, if anybody wants to find we will worship stuff, um, I know you said something about a book being in the process. Uh <laughs> where, where can people find these things? And also uh, we haven't even spoken, I mean, we've spoken about a lot, but you got a, a clothing brand. I love this, Thinkwasetu. You've also got you got that going yeah. on. So tell us about that. Where can people find your stuff, man?
0: Yeah. So I so I design. I design clothes. We use uh, one of our local fabrics. It's only found and made here in South Africa. It's called Shwe, Shwe. It's quite bright and vibrant. Um, and so one of my desires is just to see that uh, being commonplace for us as South Africans to wear bright and flamboyant uh, yeah. clothing. Um uh, yeah, particularly for the culture and the climate that we're we're actually in, um, and so that's where that's where Cinquasetu came from was just celebrating our vibrant culture and diversity here. Um, so you can find that it's Cinquasetu. Uh, that's S I N K W A S E T H U, and then com. So that's that you can find our online store there. But otherwise, you can find us on Instagram. Uh, Yeah, and and Facebook, that's with regards to Sinkwa And then with regards to We Will Worship, uh, you can look us up at uh, www.movement. That's www.movement on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. Um, And then we have a a website, which is wewillworship.co.za. And so you can follow us there, follow what we're up to. Uh, There definitely is a book in the mix that I'm, I'm, I'm just started uh, the, the process on, and uh, we are also gonna be. We're putting together the first Pan-African worship uh, course.
1: Come on, man!
0: As that that you can look forward to next year. We're busy uh, putting everything together for that. Where we're just bringing different uh, chats and conversations around worship uh, or sung worship. Let me say. And worship culture from East, uh, North, South, and uh, Central Africa. Um, Yeah, so we'll be having. Let let us know
1: when all that comes together the book and the course. We'd love to have you back on to chat about all that.
0: Yeah, no, we'll do. We'll do.
1: Guys, thanks for listening into the follow up podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next one. Have a good day.